back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 41, on our way to episode 50. I'm your co-host, as usual, for the episode, Sam Thelman, joined uh, by my co-host, Zach Falador. Zach, how are you doing on this fine April 15th? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Uh, it's cooled down here in Pennsylvania the last few days. We're back into the 40s. It was like 80 here on Saturday, and it's kind of dropped back down a little bit. But uh, no, it's a good uh, it's good weekend, good day. I've a uh, lot going on in the MAC right now. I did uh, some Ball State stuff. I saw some videos on Twitter of that new shiny indoor practice facility the football team's got. Um, things look looking up there for the, the, the football team, but, uh, yeah, a lot going on here in the Mac this week, despite, uh, you know, uh, some, some different sports, we had some pauses and stuff like that, but a lot to talk about still. Yeah, no doubt. You mentioned the practice facility. It's a, it's a nice driving by it, but I want to, I want to take a sneak peek inside. Like the yeah. photos, I don't feel like do it justice to how expensive probably it was, how nice it, <laughs> it definitely is. I, I think Ball State held their pro day there. They're starting to host practices in there. So hopefully that can be a sign of things to come. Hopefully um, an indoor practice facility maybe means uh, they're hashtag running it back. Like they're spreading on Twitter, but Anyway, um, Zach, we got uh, some women's soccer controversy um, coming from Buffalo to talk about. Yeah, you know, this is an unfortunate situation here, Sam. Uh, so any, anyone that's, you know, follows, you know, the Mac universe on Twitter um, kind of saw this over the last few days there with, with uh, the, the, you know, coaches and administrators from Buffalo and even members of the women's soccer team there not happy about this situation. So what happened is that, so the, the women's soccer season has concluded in the MAC. Uh, the the championship game is this Saturday. Ball State's taken on Bowling Green, and the controversy surrounds Buffalo, right? So in the Eastern Division, uh, Bowling Green won the division by way of of win percentage, right? Bowling Green finished five and one. Buffalo finished six one and one. Now. In previous years, this wouldn't have been a problem because there's there would have been a, the, the max soccer tournament where Buffalo would have had a chance to advance to the championship game. But they eliminated the, the women's soccer tournament last year. The MAC did. So this year, it's only you're got you're getting your two your two division champions are going to the championship game. Now, Buffalo actually beat Bowling Green at in Buffalo uh, about a month ago, but Bowling Green has the higher win percentage in the conference. They're at 83%. Buffalo's at 81%. So because of that, even though Buffalo beat Bowling Green head-to-head and is ranked higher in the RPI, um, they're not going to be able to, they're not going to be able to have a chance to play for the MAC championship. Now Buffalo's upset because they're not going to get this chance. They're also upset because they feel like they're being punished for the fact that Bowling Green had about a three-week pause on their women's soccer program because of uh, COVID issues. One of those games that they missed would have been the second game with Buffalo. Now, this whole week is is an off week for women's soccer before the uh, the championship game on Saturday. But the MAC would not allow those two teams to make up that game, so Buffalo didn't have the chance to to win that game and 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 have an opportunity to play for the championship. So it's just you know it's an unfortunate situation, but it's a situation where before the season started, they decided to determine the, the division winners based on win percentage. And this is just kind of how it played out. It's an unfortunate situation for Buffalo. Yeah. I, I kind of have two things. It, one on one hand, it, it's, it's, it's one thing for Buffalo to say it's unfair because in a way it is, they did beat Bowling Green. They have more wins than Bowling Green, 
But at the same time, Bowling Green uh, played the minimum number of games. It wasn't like the Ohio State um, game or Ohio State season where they ended up a season short of the minimum and then uh, the Big Ten just pushed them through. It, that wasn't the case at all. Bowling Green has unfortunate um, – or Buffalo has unfortunately you you did end up playing more games, which resulted in that lower winning percentage. At the same time, Bowling Green met their criteria. You you agreed to the criteria of playing them set minimum games. They met it. It's unfortunate how it turned out. I if I was a Buffalo fan or a Buffalo athlete on the soccer team, I would I would definitely feel screwed. But at the same time, you agree you agreed to a set of criteria heading into the season. You played it till the end. It's unfortunate how it ended. I just feel like Bowling Green's, like like the coach said, they're not, or uh, like somebody said from Buffalo, they're not really blaming Bowling Green, but it's kind of, you kind of are in a way. Right. And and I think I, it, on your first point, I agree with you completely. Like Buffalo and the rest of the schools in the conference, they all agreed to this, these set of criteria before the season started. So they all knew what they were signing up for. So it's not as if this was a surprise. I think the the one area, the one point that Buffalo is making where I do feel like they have a legitimate argument is that I don't understand why the Mac took the stance of not allowing any teams to make up games after April 11th. So the, the, the regular season ended this past Sunday on April 11th. There's the whole week off until the championship game this Saturday, the 17th. So you have six free days there where no teams have any games scheduled. I don't understand from the max perspective why they wouldn't allow any teams. I'm not just talking about Buffalo and Bowling Green here. I'm talking about any other teams that have games postponed as well. Why not allow them to try and make some of those games up and give their athletes and, you know, additional opportunities to compete. I think that's one area right there where I do feel like I, I can understand why Buffalo is upset on your first point though, about the criteria that was set before the season though. I agree with that completely. Yeah. And you do make a great point uh, of the, um, of how they had the full week, but I'm reading this article and the policy heading into the season provided for only an April 7th makeup date. You like, like it just goes back to the, to the first point you agree to the criteria. Yes. You could have switched things up, but at the same time, like um, Jeremy guy says, Bowling Grant met all the championship parameters. It wasn't as if, they they only hit the win percentage, only hit the games. They met everything agreed upon by league members. It wasn't just a commissioner setting the rules and then everybody else just playing along. You had to agree to it to play this season. As yeah. unfortunate it is, as as we would have liked to see a full season, we we um, knock on wood, we probably will next season. Hopefully, uh, considering all the vaccine, I got my first shot this uh, the literally yesterday. So hopefully things can turn around. Maybe um, Buffalo can um, put up another stellar season next season and make a push for the title. But it sucks for Buffalo. I do agree. I, I do think it's unfair in a sense. But uh, unlike the Ohio State situation, you agree to the parameters. Bowling Green hit the parameters, whether it was well, it was um, due to a, a three-week pause limiting the number of games. Still, you agreed to it. You knew what the season was ahead of you. It happens. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And I, I don't necessarily – I don't disagree with you. 
it is an unfortunate situation for Buffalo. And, and hopefully, like you said, hopefully they can use this as motivation going into next year and, and, and use that kind of to springboard them and, and, you know, earn an opportunity next season to, to win the championship. So you certainly, you feel for the coaches and the, and the, the women on the, on the soccer team there at Buffalo. But uh, like you said, Bowling Green still met all the criteria and they're going to get a chance to play for the championship on Saturday against Ball State. No doubt. And in some actual basketball news, um, Eastern Michigan fans should probably be happy of this. They announced their head coach, and it was Stan Heath. If you don't know who Stan Heath is, he was previously the head coach of the Lakeland Magic, former head coach of several teams, including uh, for, uh, another Mac opponent, Kent State, first season, followed by Arkansas and South Florida. Zach, I'm, I'm really impressed with who they got uh, to uh, fill as their head coach. Yeah, I, I can't lie, Sam. I, I am impressed as well. You know, before they announced this hire, you know, there, I saw some lists going around of potential candidates and who people thought Eastern Michigan might hire. And a lot of the names on those lists were very underwhelming to me. I didn't see Stan Heath on any of those lists. But so whenever they did this, um, I was I was very pleasantly surprised. And I think the, the reaction from fans in Ypsilanti has been very positive as well. And I actually, to be honest with you, until I, I saw the story, I didn't realize he was an alum of Eastern Michigan. I didn't realize he played there. But you know, you, you look at his, uh, his, his coaching track record. I mean, this is a guy back in 2001, the 0102 season, he led Kent state to their best season in school history, took them to the elite eight. They went 30 and six that year, uh, on, on, on the way to the elite eight. And they actually ended up losing to, uh, to Indiana who went to the, the championship game that year. Then he goes to, uh, he goes to Arkansas. He made the NCAA tournament his last two years there at Arkansas. Um, didn't win a tournament game, but he got them to the dance both years. And then he also, um, uh, took South Florida to, to the NCAA tournament for, for their only appearance in school history, he took them to the round of 32 back in 2011, 2012. So he, he did have some down seasons at those schools, especially at South Florida, but I'm not going to fault him for that because South Florida traditionally is, is not a basketball school. This is not a, a school that has any really winning tradition in basketball. He took them, like I said, to the second round of the NCAA tournament in 2012, also took them to the NIT in 2010. So he had a couple good seasons there by their standards. So I think uh, if, if I'm an Eastern Michigan fan, I am very, very optimistic uh, for this hire, I think to bring someone back that's an alum that the alumni will connect to, that the fan base will remember, and that you know he has local connections there. I think this is a home run hire for the Eagles. Yeah, I think uh, cheer. I agree with your point completely. I think he checks off all the boxes you want as a head coach. I know um, uh, Arizona recently hired their coach, and they were really under fire for hiring a guy who's never been at the helm of another school. Uh, he's been Gonzaga's kind of waiting and hire coach for the past who knows how many seasons. So yeah. not only does San Heath have ties to the school, being an alum, being an actual basketball player, that's a great thing. He has success at the at other schools, Arkansas. He's led to multiple NCAA appearances. You, met, uh, you mentioned South Florida, the Kent State Elite Eight appearance. He, uh, just this past season, um, he appeared on my radar when he took Lakeland Magic to the G League Championship and actually won it. Like, this dude yeah. has experience. He's probably going to be really good at recruiting considering he has SEC ties. He's done a big, big East or slash AAC when the South Florida went over there and in the MAC, especially. 
Like, I think this is a home run hire. I think we, we talked about John Gross being such an excellent hire. I wouldn't be surprised, maybe not this next season, Eastern Michigan being good, but I could see them really being good under Stan Heath um, down the road. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And, you know, people maybe don't recall, people that are, you know, are our, our, our age or younger, um, I don't think a lot of people realize how good Eastern Michigan was in basketball back in the 80s and, and, and you know, in the early 90s, uh, back in the era whenever Stan Heath played there. I mean, this, this is a team, recently there hasn't been a lot of success. There recently hasn't been a lot of success, but this is a team, I mean, they went to the, the Sweet 16 in 1991. They were in the second round in 1996. They, they were also in that tournament in 88 and 98. I mean, from the late 80s to the late 90s, this was a very, very good basketball program. And so I think for, for the Eastern Michigan fan base, there's a strong hunger to get back to that point. There's a lot of local talent there in, in Detroit, and you're not far from Indiana and Ohio, two very good basketball states. So the, the recruiting base is there. I think this could turn out to be a good hire for the Eagles. It's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, who he hires to fill out his staff and how they're able to recruit here over the next uh, couple of years. I, w- I will say I'm interested in how he transitions back to the college level. He obviously was in the G League. Last head coaching spot was in 2013, 2014. So I'm wondering if he can keep up with the times, but I'm honestly not worried about that, Zach. Uh, maybe maybe Eastern Michigan fans are, but I, I think this is a really solid hire. Somebody like you mentioned that um, they didn't put in any rumors of um, uh, being a potential uh, um, filling the head coaching spot, but yeah. Zach, um, any final thoughts on the Stan Heath um, basketball coach hiring? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, again, I think it's a good hire for Eastern Michigan. And now that this one's out of the way, you know, our only coaching vacancy remaining in men's hoops in the MAC now is going to be that central Michigan role, which, um, you know, I know we've, we've talked off air about, and we've, you know, talked with our, our creative director, James, about a little bit. And, you know, it seems like that's going to be a complete rebuild there. And, and so that's going to be a, you know, a tough job and it'll be interesting to see who they hire. But uh, so, yeah, all eyes on, on Mount Pleasant now in terms of vacancies in men's basketball. We'll, we'll see what they end up doing. Yeah. And with that being said, the Mac actually has a new transfer policy. Zach, if you want to take us through the new change. Yeah. So this seems to be in line with the, uh, the new rule that was passed by the NCAA at large the other day, which is essentially just eliminating the uh, the one year kind of, you know, have sit, having to sit out as a penalty whenever you transfer. So the Mac previously had this rule in place where that, um, you know, a student, if, you know, if they transferred from one school to another Mac or one Mac school to another Mac school, they were going to have to sit out a year. And uh, that that has been eliminated uh, by the Mac and again, by the NCAA at large that it's gotten to the point now where the NCAA is saying you can transfer one time without penalty. So you, you, that first transfer you get, you're immediately eligible and the Mac is just being consistent with that. So someone's transferring from one Mac school to another, you can play immediately at that other school. I think this makes sense. I think it's the way that, you know, the, that athletics and college is going. Um, it's always been kind of a weird rule to me in the first place. That's, you know, you had to sit out a year after you transfer, especially when coaches can leave with no penalty at all and go to another school and be fine. So I think this makes sense. Again, it's in line with what the NCAA is doing. And so I think the Mac did the right thing here. I will say though, Zach, it doesn't, I don't think that this rule will have 
that big of an impact compared to other conferences? Because I could be wrong on this, but it seems with the MAC transfers, you either we'll we'll talk about this later, but Marion Jackson going to Arizona State, or we have um, like we talked about the four-star quarterback coming in. We usually have, I would say, a lot a majority, if not a significant majority either go out of conference or come from out of conference. It's not a whole lot of intra-conference kind of transfers we see in the MAC from the past few years. Maybe maybe that had to do with them sitting out a year, and we'll have to see how this kind of affects uh, the league moving forward. Maybe we'll see more intra-conference transfers. But at the same time, I think this is going to – this is more just the NCAA talking about uh, conferences like the SEC, the Pac-12, and whatnot, because – Zach, in my eyes, if you're going to transfer within the conference, it seems kind of a lateral move in a sense. Yes, I, I do agree with you. And I was actually, you know, even as we've been talking here and before we were recording, I was trying to remember off the top of my head. I, I couldn't think of a scenario that I remember of a, of a, an athlete transferring from one Mac school to another. I'm sure it's happened before. I'm sure there's an example out there, but it's, it's, to me, it's a pretty rare thing. I, I agree with you. When we see players leaving the Mac, you tend to see them going outside of the conference, whether that be transferring up to a power five conference or, or somewhere like how Ish Elamin went to Rhode Island or something like that. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Sam. I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much this, this, this rule is going to affect, um, because again, I don't, I don't see a ton of interest intra-conference transfers here in the Mac, but you know, we'll see, maybe it could be that, uh, we'll find out that that was because they didn't want to sit out of here. Maybe now that they don't have to, you will see it pick up a little bit. I don't know that that will be the case, but I, I do agree with you. It does seem pretty rare to me that, uh, an athlete transfers from one Mac school to another. Yeah, and um, I, I touched on it briefly earlier. Marion Jackson, Marion Jackson, my bad, finally released his decision on where to transfer. Yeah, so Marion, uh, we uh, of course, you know, he he uh, came out and announced this the, the day after we recorded last week. So we're we're a little bit late on uh, on reporting on this, but that's okay. Yeah, he uh, did decide that he was going to go to Arizona State. I was a little bit surprised. I thought, I like I said last week, I thought he was going to end up going to Arkansas. Um, so his final four was Arizona State, Arkansas, Georgetown, and Miami. Um, Arizona State coach Bobby Hurley, he's going to get to play for him. Everyone remembers him. He famously played at Duke and, and was previously the, the head coach at, at Buffalo before taking the Arizona State job. But they've had, um, they've had you know, quite a few transfers coming in, high-profile recruits coming in. So it sounds like they're trying to, to make a run next year. And Marion Jackson can certainly be a part of that. I think this guy – player of the year in the Mac this year, he, you know, he proved he can play at a high level. I'll be very curious to see how he's able to compete in the Pac-12 at a power five level. Yeah, I, I think I am too. I think Miriam Jackson will have success as long as he gets the minutes from Arizona State to do high level things because he is a high level talent. He was always uh, first team all Mac. He was in the running. Uh, wasn't he Mac player of the year this year? Or, he sure was. He sure was. Yeah. So that even proves it further. And what I, I find interesting, I think more and more players are realizing how good and how underappreciated the Pac-12 is. They put out 
good teams year after year. We saw it in this past tournament. So I think Marriott Jackson is only going to improve the Pac-12 even more. Arizona State's trying to rise to the level of Oregon, Oregon State, what have you. I think this is a great decision for Marriott Jackson. Get his name out there a little bit more. Go to a higher program school. Now with the the Pac-12 after dark, are you really going to see him that much outside of NBA scouts? No. But at the same time, you have a chance, you have a higher chance, I should say, to go play in the NCAA tournament and uh, raise your draft stock. So I, th- I think this is a great move for Aaron Jackson. He, he spent his uh, four years at Toledo. He did his time. He did what he needed to, proved how elite he was. Now he gets to um, uh, ball out in uh, Arizona. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I just, if Marion, if you're listening to this, I got to apologize in advance. If I turn on one of your games and Bill Walton's announcing, I'm going to change the channel. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, no, I think regardless, I think it's a good move for him. Uh, best of luck to him. I hope he, you know, proves himself at that label and can use that as a springboard to, to his professional career. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, Ohio women's basketball got two big uh, returnees for next year. Yeah. So, um, the big news out of Athens for the women's basketball program. So first and foremost, uh, CC Hooks. So we had uh, we had reported a couple weeks ago that she was declaring for for the WNBA draft. Uh, she came out on Twitter and released a statement the other day, though, that you know she had a, a change of heart and that um, you know she felt basically said like, "Hey, I never won a MAC championship, and I can't see myself leaving." Athens without doing that. So she's going to come back next year and, um, you know, use her, her extra year of eligibility. So obviously one of the players of the year in the conference this year, uh, their leading scorer. And the, uh, the other news out of uh, Athens is that somebody who gets overshadowed a little bit because of CC hooks and Erica Johnson, that's Gabby Burris. Uh, Gabby's uh, was their, uh, their third leading scorer this year. She averaged 13 and a half points a game. Um, this is, uh, she, she decided she was a senior this year. She's going to use her extra year of eligibility and she's going to come back as well. So you're going to have uh, CC hooks and Gabby Burris as super seniors, uh, two red shirt seniors and Erica Johnson and Caitlin Crow, and then a junior and Peyton Gweiss as, uh, as Ohio's starting five next year, going to be one of the most experienced starting fives in the Mac. Um, obviously Bowling Green is still going to be there next year. Central Michigan's not going anywhere either. They always seem to reload, but with that starting five there and all of this experience from Ohio, they're going to be hard to beat next year in the max, Sam. I agree. I, I, th- I think this, um, is a little bit early, but I think if you're going to do kind of early predictions for next year, you kind of have probably Bowling Green still going to be one, but I think, with Michaela Kelly, I believe she she left to declare for the WNBA draft, correct? Uh, yes, she did. So with that big of a void in Central Michigan, I'm not sure how they're going to fill it exactly and, and kind of keep up with the level they had last year. I think Ohio, with their experience, I love teams that have experience because it, it, it means they're not going to be frazzled in the kind of closing seconds. It means when they're in one, two possession games, they're going to come through for you. They're the teams like kind of Ohio's men's basketball team. They had the experience to get to the NCAA tournament. Not only do that, beat a great Virginia team. So I think um, if if Bowling Green's not the favorite, you definitely have to list Ohio, considering the fact that CC Hooks and Erica Johnson a year ago were uh, both preseason first team all maxing. If Erica Johnson would have stayed healthy, I think Ohio could have made a dangerous push at least to get a higher seed, if not do some uh, more damage in the the conference tourney. 
I agree with that completely. I think in today's day and age, you know, with, with, you know, when you think about like high profile freshmen and stuff like that, there, there seems to be, it seems like experience gets overlooked sometimes or how important experience is and how important continuity is. So for, for Ohio to have all of their starters back next year, uh, an, another year of maturity, another year of experience under their belt, and also another year of chemistry of playing together, they're going to be hard to beat next year. And I think a lot of people tend to overlook that, but it's not just experience in this case, though. It's talent as well. Like these are talented, experienced players coming back to Ohio next year. And I agree with you. I think I, you know, way, way too early look ahead here. I got Ohio and Bowling Green at the top of the pack next year in women's basketball. And I, I think those two are going to be hard to beat for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And with that being said, that'll wrap up our general news segments. We got some spring sports updates. Let's start over in the volleyball. Um, unfortunately, uh, Bowling Green had, or I should say Bowling Green had a match in the NCAA tournament that didn't turn out how they envisioned. Yeah, so last night, Bowling Green uh, making their first appearance in the NCAA tournament since 2012 in women's volleyball. Uh, they are in the play-in round against Weber State, and unfortunately, the Falcons did fall uh, three sets to one there. Bowling Green, they I mean, they put up a good fight. Weber State took the first set. Bowling Green came back and won the second set, so it was tied up at uh, tied up at one set apiece there. Weber State won the third set, 25-22, and the fourth set, 25-21. to So um, Bowling Green will not have the chance to advance and take on uh, the number one seed, Wisconsin, as, as we talked about last week. That's who Weber State's going to take on uh, now that they've uh, dispatched of the Falcons. But regardless of that result, I still – uh, a great, great season for the Falcons. Uh, first time, like I said, first time in the NCAA tournament since 2012. Uh, first MAC championship since 2012. They also had the um, the the best start in program history at 18 and 0. Most consecutive wins in program history in 18. And this was only their third NCAA tournament bid of all time. They still finished the season at 22 and 2. There's a bright future for Coach Tomich and, and the, the women's volleyball program there at Bowling Green. Uh, nothing to hang your head about. I mean, especially, in, you know, in the MAC, which is traditionally a one-bid conference to, to win the conference championship and get to the big dance, is that that's the goal everyone's chasing, and they were able to achieve that this year. They went down swinging against Weber State. They just didn't seem to kind of ran out of gas there in the in the third and fourth sets. Still a great season to them. Hats off to them for, for a great year, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they build on this going into next season. Yeah, I, I know Bowling Green fans have to be upset they didn't come away with the NCAA tournament with the victory. But like Bowling Green on their on their article that they posted, it was a historic season for them. There's nothing to kind of um, to kind of be uh, sad about. You had a great season, MAC regular season title, MAC tournament championship. But beyond that, 18 and 0, like you 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 have a 0.9 one seven winning percentage will go to the as the best season ever if you're an athlete and you record the best season ever for a school whatever school it would be you got to be proud of that um a bunch of teams didn't make it out of the NCAA tournament you think of Ohio State losing to Oral Roberts like it happens yeah. it's not the way you want to go out obviously they wanted to continue their uh, great season they are having but if, if you're five, uh, 10 years down the road, you got to look at the season as a success because not because, uh, for example, another um, team, uh, Bowling Green w women's basketball had a great season, 
but it didn't even get to that point because they lost in the conference tournament. So it is how it is. It's how the cookie crumbles. But at the end of the day, it was a great season for the, the women's volleyball team from Bowling Green. Yeah, it really was. And, and I think the other thing that got that, if you're a Bowling Green fan, the thing that's really got to give you, um, you know, encouragement moving forward in the next season is that you look at some of the, the, the main contributors on this team this year. I mean, Caitlin Meyer was a junior. She'll be back next year. Julia Wall is a junior. She'll be back next year. Yelianis Torres, a sophomore. She'll be back next year. Taylor Haberlin, a, a redshirt junior. She'll be back next year. Even the, even the seniors like Katie Kidwell and, and Kirsty Shaw, I mean, they have the option to return because of this extra year of eligibility that the NCA is giving them. So if they take that opportunity, you could potentially have this whole team back next year to run it back to, uh, you know, I guess to, to steal that, that phrase from the ball state football team, that that's a potential opportunity here for Bowling Green. So I think uh, coach Tomich has really set a good foundation for this program here. Um, they're only, they, the arrow seems to be pointing up, like we said, you know, first Mac championship, first NCAA tournament since 2012. So good things in the future for, uh, for Bowling Green women's volleyball. Yeah, no doubt. Before we move on to baseball, I will say I enjoyed the content that the Bowling Green Falcons posted on their Twitter account from the NCAA tournament. I don't know. I don't know if you saw that, Zach. I did. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. They, their their social media team does a really good job. I, I enjoyed some of those videos and stuff that they were posting here over the last couple of days. That was cool stuff. Yeah, so if you want to go check that out, uh, go check that out on Twitter. There, It's pretty entertaining stuff. I highly recommend it. But, Zach, uh, we have kind of a switch up in baseball in the standings. Uh, Miami at the top has slid down to third, it appears. Yeah, so if you guys recall last week uh, when we spoke, I believe Miami, If I correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, I believe it was a 12-game winning streak that they were on. I mean, they hadn't lost in – in quite some time, they uh, they did come down to earth here uh, a little bit over the last week. Uh, their their season or their series this past weekend against Western Michigan, they were uh, they lost three of four at home to the uh, to the Broncos. Their offense just couldn't get going. They lost nine nothing on uh, on Friday, three uh, two on on uh, or I'm sorry. 4-3 on Saturday and 3-2 two, two on the doubleheader there. And then they put up 16 runs on Sunday. So they kind of saved all their offense there for Sunday afternoon. So because of that, you're right, Sam. Miami has slid from first place to fifth place. Uh, they now sit at 11-5 and five in the conference. Now, the other team that we spoke about last week, or one of the other teams we spoke about last week, was, was Ball State. And uh, Sam, Ball State really on a roll right now. They've won eight in a row after uh, sweeping Akron this past weekend in uh, in four games at Akron, that included a uh, a ten nothing win in the second game of a doubleheader on Saturday, and then thirteen to two on Sunday. So twenty three to two there uh, over the last two games of that uh, of that series. Central Michigan still in, uh, right there as well. You know they they've uh, gotten back up to second place in the conference. They're sitting at nine and three. Fall State, Central Michigan, and Miami all looking good right now. Western Michigan has kind of gotten themselves back into the conversation now after that sweep of Miami, or I'm sorry, that, you know, winning three of four against Miami. They now sit at 10 and six. And then how about Ohio, Sam? We've talked about them a little bit. They come into this season with an interim head coach. They're now sitting at fifth in the conference. They've won four in a row. They're sitting at nine and seven over or in the conference right now uh, after their sweep of Eastern Michigan uh, at home in Athens this weekend. Yeah, and I will say, I, I like how Ball State's not only getting things done, but getting things done 
really just just having their way with their opponents 13 to 2 against Akron 10 0 7 3 against Akron Butler 16 10 10 1 7 2 so it's not only that they're beating these teams in in conference play they're also beating teams in um, non-conference we're talking about their Kentucky wins we talk about the uh, Arizona wins that they had it's been a overall great season for Ball State which I don't think many people had being first I, I think they were like third or fourth in the preseason yeah. pool, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So Ball State rising above the expectations. I love to see not only um, as a Ball State fan wear my Ball State shirt, but just in general, it's great baseball. It's great. I tuned into uh, some of their last innings against, um, I believe it was Toledo in that 8-7 win. It was great. It was fun to watch. I, I loved every second of it. I do wish, though, we could have seen Miami at its peak versus Ball State at its peak. I think that would have been incredible baseball to watch. I'm looking at their schedule. They don't play um, Miami until 528, their first season against series against each other. So just before the um, – I believe it would be – are they having a conference turn? They're having a conference tourney, or are they not? Yeah, that'll be, it'll be – it's coming up in May. So, Yeah. But um, other than that, uh, it's great baseball. Not only that, uh, we haven't really talked about Central Michigan a whole lot. They stayed steady at uh, nine and three. Pace, you mentioned Ohio. Shout out to Ohio. And whenever yeah. you have an interim head coach, I, I think they kind of had that head coach and waiting, and maybe they found their head coach in, in uh, their, for the future there in Ohio because they're having a great season despite a uh, shakeup in the offseason. But yeah, great season so far in baseball. I'm enjoying every second of it. Yeah, so am I. And I also, you know, got, got to give a, a little shout out here to, to Akron. You know, they're they're having a tough season. They're sitting at the bottom of the standings. They're three and 13 and they've lost 14 games in a row. So it's certainly been a tough year for the Zips. With that said, though, um, got to give them credit. I mean, this is their first season since the program was dropped back in 2015. So it's their first season in six years. Coach Chris Sabo is kind of you know, trying to set a foundation there for the Zips moving forward. There have been some, uh, some, some good moments there, um, you know, for the Zips. They, they won two of their first three MAC games against Eastern Michigan. Uh, they, they picked up, a, you know, another win against Bowling Green as well. Since then, it's been downhill. Uh, but they've had some close losses, and, you know, they, they, they're able to put up some runs. The, the, the pitching has been a little bit of a struggle for, for the Zips. Team ERA not looking too good right now. But you got to give the Zips a shout-out. You know, and anytime you have, you're bringing a program back, it's your first season competing. Um, you know, you're going to have some struggles. But I think they're heading in the right direction. Yeah, and I do want to give a quick shout out on the Mac Baseball Pitcher of the Week, Jordan Patty, for pitching a one, uh, pitching a um, complete game shutout this past week. Uh, just impressive performance again over Bowling Green. It, that that's um, that that alone is an accomplishment. One zero narrow win, but hey, you're if you're pitching if your pitching is like that, you only need one win to win. Yeah, for sure. And also a, a, um, a little bit of a, a shout out to Chris Myers from uh, from Toledo. He's ninth in the country now. He has 11 home runs and 18th in the country with 35 RBIs. So, um, you know, he's hit 444 over the, the weekend in their weekend series against Kent State. Two home runs, three doubles, 10 RBIs in four games. So he's playing really good baseball right now for the Rockets. And like I said, He's uh, up there near the top 10 in the country in terms of home runs. So uh, a really good year so far for Chris Myers from the Rockets. 
And we, we've talked about baseball, but Zach, on the softball uh, pitch, it's been incredible, um, uh, incredible softball from um, especially two um, of the Mac, uh, two of the Mac teams. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, Miami and, and Ball State continue to kind of, I don't want to say run away with this thing, but I do kind of want to say run away with this. I mean, balls, uh, Miami in first place at 12 and 0 in the conference, 22 and six overall ball state in second place at 11 and 0. Uh, third place is Toledo. They're nine and five. So, I mean, every team in the conference has at least five losses except for ball state and Miami, both of whom are undefeated. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty impressive what the Red Hawks, and the uh, the Cardinals are doing right now. Speaking of the Red Hawks, what an unbelievable performance on Sunday uh, from pitcher Courtney Vierstra, who threw a perfect game uh, in the in the fourth game of, of their four game series with uh, with Akron uh, at Miami now on a 16 game win streaks. But I mean, on Friday, imagine it. I mean, this is this is absurd to me, Sam. Vierstra takes the mound on Friday against Akron. And she, she throws a no hitter against the zips, right? You think, okay, that's going to be her best performance of the weekend. Well, then she comes back on Sunday and she throws a perfect game. She throws a perfect game two days after throwing a no hitter in that perfect game. She struck out 12 zips. Um, that's, I mean, just unbelievable performance from her. The Red Hawks outscored the zips 40 to seven over that four game series. Miami is really, really rolling right now. Uh, so is ball state though. So is ball state. You look at the Cardinals, they're sitting at 11 and zero in the conference. They, they did lose their last game though. It was a, a non-conference contest against, uh, against Butler, uh, five to four. Um, but, but I mean, they're, they continue to, to just dominate in the conference. Uh, you know, a, a sweep of Kent state last weekend, a sweep of central Michigan, the weekend before that, a sweep of Bowling green, the weekend before that. I mean, the Cardinals and Red Hawks to me, it seems like a, a collision course between the two of them in the, for the conference championship this year. Yeah. And in case you're curious when, uh, they play each other, both ball state and Miami, they have not played each other this season. Once uh, Miami, Ohio gets through the, the series against Buffalo and Ball State gets through the series against Akron, they will play each other starting on 420. And then they have their second series just eight days later. So the first game is in Oxford. Second series is in Muncie. Should be two, should be, I guess, was that four total games? Four great uh, games we have in store for us. Unlike the baseball, we don't really get to see the two top for a while. I, I'm excited for this matchup, see if Ball State can hold up against Miami, Ohio, or if Miami, Ohio on that 16-game winning streak, 12-0 and perfect record is just uh, too much for the Cardinals to handle. Yeah, I agree. I think those two games uh, or those two series, definitely going to be appointment television there uh, if, if you're a Mac softball fan. And I think, like I said, uh, this is a, this is, um, you know, this is, these are the two best teams in the conference. You look uh, down below them, you got Kent State, or I'm sorry, Toledo in third at nine and five, Kent State at eight and seven and fourth, and then uh, Ohio and uh, Buffalo tied for fifth uh, at 500 in the conference. Ohio eight and eight, Buffalo seven and seven. I think this is, you know, we, we've talked, I feel like in most sports that we talk about, Sam, you think about women's basketball where there was so much parity there was really no separation between teams like two and nine I think it's kind of the opposite here where you have two clear-cut best teams in Miami and Ball State 
we'll see if Toledo or Kent State or Ohio or any of these other teams can kind of catch up to them and, and knock them off their pedestal. But I, I, I'm not sure I see that happening. Yeah, and with that being said, we're going to move on to men's soccer. And, um, Zach, um, we, we all know in soccer you can tie, but what was unique, we had two games that ended in tie this past weekend. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, I, I think the, the, the most encouraging thing about this is that, you know, the games were, were actually played. You know, there's been in men's and women's soccer, we had, we've had so many games postponed. So the fact that, you know, we were able to start getting some of these games back in is, is a very encouraging sign. You mentioned a couple of uh, ties this weekend, uh, Bowling Green and West Virginia end at 0-0, as do Western Michigan and Akron. Uh, still surprised that, you know, Akron's sitting at, you know, fourth place in the conference out of six right now. They're only a game back. They're sitting at three, three and one. But uh, but Bowling Green still sitting at the top of the conference there. They're four, two and one in the conference, six, four and one overall. Obviously, that draw coming uh, with that um, uh, that recent game that we just mentioned against West Virginia. They did, however, on Saturday, a big win for Bowling Green, they they did knock off Akron one nothing in overtime. So that's a big big win for the uh, for, for the um, the Falcons soccer program. Obviously, even though it seems like Akron is a little bit down this year, this is you know far and away the best program in the MAC. They've won national championships here in the last decade. They tend to you know they're consistently at the top of the conference, winning the conference. So I think if you're a Bowling Green men's soccer fan. Very encouraging to see that they followed that up with with the tie against uh, West Virginia on Sunday. Um, but you know, I, I think it lo- it's looking like um, I mean, it's a four team race right now. Even though Akron's in fourth place, they're three three and one. Bowling Green's at first at four two and one. So there's only a game separating them, which makes that uh, that win for the Falcons on Saturday even bigger. Um, or I, I, yeah, on Saturday, even bigger. I just think, you know, it looks like they're Akron in fourth place. They're still not out of this. I think Northern Illinois at four and five and, uh, Southern Illinois Edwardsville at two and five rounding out the bottom of the conference. I think it'll be tough for the two of them to climb up the standings, but Bowling Green, Western Michigan, West Virginia, and Akron all still very much in contention for the regular season championship here. Yeah. And, and this is all coming down to the wire. Everybody I think is on their last game. I'm looking at um, against Akron, uh, Western Michigan, I believe, plays. We have an SIU Edwardsville game and then Northern Illinois for uh, Bowling Green. So it's all coming down to the wire. Like you said, it's anybody's race at this point for the top four. I'm interested to see if Bowling Green was to lose, if, if someone else was to win, if winning percentage plays a factor like women's soccer or if Bowling Green wins. Like, I, I'm, I'm just excited to see because – Akron would end up at four and three and one. Would they move up to the second spot? Would they right. dip down? So anything can happen. Maybe more people will be upset by whatever happens after this week, but who knows at this point? Yeah, you're right. And, you know, an interesting thing I noticed, uh, I was looking at, um, you know, some, you know, some of the soccer statistics, Northern Illinois, I mentioned, they're currently in fifth place out of six at four and five overall but they have the best goal differential in the conference. They've scored 26 goals and only given up 18. When you outscore your opponents 26 to 18, I'm trying to figure out how you're only five, seven, and one. I mean, that, that you, you think that would lend itself to at the very least a winning record. Um, Now, part of that is, 
you look at their when you look at their schedule, they have one game where they played Chicago State and won ten to nothing. So I guess if you take that one game out, that explains it a little bit. But nonetheless, uh, even same thing with uh, West Virginia. They also have a, a plus eight goal differential, and that you know they're they're right there, tied for second place, uh, right in contention in the thick of things here. So you're right, Sam. As as we come down to uh, the the last uh, week of the season here, last weekend of the season for men's soccer. Um, you're going to a lot, uh, you know, a lot can change. So we got, uh, Bowling Green this weekend, as you mentioned, taking on, uh, Northern Illinois on Sunday. Uh, and then let's see here, Western Michigan is going to go take on Akron. So that, that's a big game right there. Western Michigan versus Akron, Akron, if they want to have a chance to, to claim the conference championships, they're going to need to win that game. So we'll see what happens this weekend on, on the pitch on the men's side of things. And next time, uh, this time next week, we, we should be able to talk about uh, who, uh, who ends up on top. Yeah, no doubt. And before we move on to women's soccer, shout out to Western Michigan. If they end up winning the game against uh, Akron, they will finish the, the season six and zero at home, defending the home turf. So shout out to them for a great season at home. But uh, Zach on the, on the women's side, how, how are things looking? Yeah. So, you know, we, we obviously touched on this uh, at the top of the show with the controversy around, you know, uh, Buffalo and Bowling Green there, there in the Eastern division, but uh, Bowling Green, because of, of the criteria that was laid out before the season started uh, Bowling Green did end up winning the uh, winning the East and getting a, a, the, the bid into the conference championship game against uh, against Ball State. Ball State just uh, just clinched the West Division uh, last weekend with their their win over Eastern Michigan two to one. Uh, they needed to win that game. Uh, the 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 Eastern Division, or I'm sorry, the Western Division. Uh, it really came down to that game. Ball State now finishes six two and one in the conference. Eastern Michigan fish, finishes six and three. So the winner of that game was was gonna go to uh, represent the Western Division in uh, in the conference championship game. Elsewhere around uh, the uh, the conference on Sunday, Akron knocked off Miami three to two. Buffalo finished out their season one nothing, and then Central Michigan knocked off Northern Illinois three nothing. So unfortunately for Buffalo, like we said, not going to get a chance to play for the the conference championship. They're going to be kind of in in wait and see mode to see if they can have you know. I guess they have an outside shot and an at large bid to the NCAA women's soccer tournament uh, because their RPI is pretty high. It's up there in the forties. Unfortunately, you know, they don't have the chance to, to prove that in the championship game. And they didn't have really no, not, no non-conference games this year either. So um, looking forward Saturday evening, Bowl, uh, Bowling Green and Ball State uh, for, for the conference title. Um, be interesting to see how that one shakes out. You look, you know, again, Bowling Green at five and one, Ball State at six, two and one. And they, uh, they actually, those two teams, they did not play each other this year. So um, no, uh, no prior matchups to go off of. So interesting. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see who's able to come out on top there. And, and you know, what's funny talking about how teams play one more than each other, Western Michigan, you have to feel a little bit kind of um, disappointed. You, you push everything till the end, you go on a four game winning streak. I looked uh, and they're sitting at six, two and two because of one more tie then Ball State, they're sitting at third spot. And when I looked at the, the season series between Ball State and Western Michigan, Western Michigan tied one game and won the other. So mm. you have to think, yeah, maybe, maybe Buffalo is not the only team that should be mad because 
they probably would have been in first place if they hadn't played that extra game. That's a great point, Sam. It's a great point. Yeah. What a, I mean, such a weird year in athletics in general, but you really do feel for these teams and, and even, you know, I, I, I don't envy the conference either for being put in this position to have to make these decisions. I mean, obviously you would have loved to have every team been able to play every game. And then this isn't even a conversation, you know what I mean? But unfortunately because of the circumstances we're in that the, the conference had to make some tough decisions and you're right, Sam. I mean, the fact that they, uh, beat Ball State at home and, and tied them on the road. You'd like to think that the Broncos would have a chance to play for the uh, the championship as well. Unfortunately, though, because of the circumstances, Ball, the Cardinals and the Falcons are the only ones that are going to get that shot. Yeah, no doubt. And with that being said, um, we'll we'll actually start with the the championships uh, this week coming from swimming and diving. Yeah, so uh, the uh, men's and women's championships are. Uh, taking place this weekend starting uh this evening thursday night going through uh through sunday uh being hosted at uh eastern michigan in ypsilanti so it's uh all obviously all eight teams are are, are there uh un, you know no spectators unfortunately for for any fans but i think that's pretty consistent across the board with with what we've seen you know i was reading this article earlier sam about the the these swimming and diving championships i had no idea about this but you look at this Akron has won seven straight MAC championships in swimming and diving. They're going for their eighth straight right now. Um, they're uh, led by junior Sarah Watson. She set a school record at the 2021 uh, Women's Swimming and Diving Championships. Uh, she had a 48.63 time in the 100-yard freestyle on Saturday. Uh, so, again, that was, a, that was a school record there. No idea that Akron's swimming and diving program was that good, but uh, they're they're going again for their eighth straight conference championship this weekend in swimming and diving. Some of the other contenders, uh, you know, you know, Ball State, Bowling Green, Buffalo, they're all looking to knock them off their pedestal. Uh, Buffalo actually comes in on the women's side; they're undefeated. They went five and zero overall, three and zero in the MAC, and um, they haven't won a MAC championship in a long time. So. Uh, their head coach though, Andy Bashore earned coach of the year honors. They have, uh, Victoria Franz was uh, the freshman diver of the year. So looks like Buffalo might have a chance to knock off the zips, but, uh, as it stands right now, until someone does it, the zips seem to be, uh, at the top of the pedestal here in the conference. I will say reading this article, it seems like a lot of teams have a shot. Obviously you have Akron at the top eight consecutive mid American championship. They're trying to go for but at the same time, you have Ball State, who, as the article mentions, has set several program records. You have, you have Bowling, you have Bowling Green, who had someone who broke the school record. You have Buffalo, who um, last year finished the program and uh, had the best finish in program history. So, I, I think unlike a lot of sports, you, you obviously have um, a lot more teams competing in the championships than you would at any other sport, but. I still think you have a lot more, um, uh, what is it, um, uncertainty heading into the, the championship with so many more teams, so many good programs uh, coming out of the MAC. Yeah, no, I agree with you. A lot more, a lot of parity here, it seems like. And so, um, yeah, you know, any anytime you have a dominant program like Akron like that, I think that's what everyone else in the conference kind of measures themselves against. And, and that's kind of like the, the, the mark that they're all shooting for. So, um, all eyes will be on Ypsilanti this weekend uh, is in, in terms of the swimming and diving world. And we'll see if one, any one of these, uh, these other contenders can, can knock the zips off of their perch. My money would still be on the zips, but we'll see what happens. 
Um, and now moving on to our last spring sport of the day, we have track and field. And um, we, we have some uh, excellent performers of the week this week. Man, I, I just looking at these times made me tired, like from a cardio perspective. I mean, you look at uh, the men's track performer of the week, Finley McClear from, uh, from Miami. So Finley McClear runs the 800 meters for, for the Red Hawks. So anybody that isn't familiar with track and field, 800 meters is a half a mile. That's two laps around the track. He, he uh, set a new Miami school record, a minute and 46 seconds. He ran a half a mile. Anyone that's out there that's familiar with running or distance running or anything like that, for an average person off the street, like a seven-minute mile pace is really good. Six-minute mile pace is like really, really, really good. You extrapolate his timeout, he's running a mile in three and a half minutes. Now, I'm not saying he'd be able to keep that pace for the second half of that, but again, set the school record and is currently the top time in the NCAA uh, for the 800 meters. So an unbelievable performance from him. And then, uh, and then uh, the men's uh, field performer of the week was uh, Bubakar Salah Muhammad from Eastern Michigan, uh, program best long jump of 7.87 meters. Uh, that's also his personal best, which beat his previous best of 7.58. His, his mark is currently best in the MAC and 10th in the country. And then on the women's side, a couple of good performances as well. Olivia Bechtel from uh, Miami uh, ran the uh, 400 meter in 53 seconds at Ole Miss. And that's a uh, new Miami record in the 200 meter event as well with uh, 23 seconds. And then uh, Lily Franks from Kent State uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the high jump cleared 1.73 meters, uh, second best in the MAC, ninth all time at Kent State. Man, some of those times, though, Sam, I, I can't even imagine running that fast or being in that good of shape. The I I speaking, you were talking about bringing people off the streets. I don't want to know what my mile time is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Once this year, I did my forty time. I think I was like five point like two something. And <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's as good as you're gonna get from me. So I don't want to know what my eight hundred meter time is or a mile time is. Uh, Finley McClear, you could take the record. I'm not going to challenge you on that. Like, um, it's funny. We see all these, um, kind of football players, uh, competing against each other. I wonder how they would do against actual track people. That's yeah. kind of my thought on it. That's no, it's so true. Like I, I remember back a couple years ago in the Olympics when Usain Bolt was breaking all those records and everyone was wondering, like, I wonder if Usain Bolt could play football. I mean, he would smoke these defensive backs in the NFL with how fast he is. Uh, I, I Obviously, you're not running in just a straight line very often in football, but nonetheless, I mean, speed is speed. And and, and some of these times are just unbelievable to me. And even just the, uh, the, the cardio endurance to be able to run 800 meters in a minute 45 is just absurd to me i couldn't even imagine doing that and I'm, I'm with you sam like i even i you know i run from time to time i i could never even touch that time though i mean it's unbelievable that that is elite 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 conditioning there yeah and like what's cool about track and field is everybody for the most part can run slash walk and to say that yeah. you're the best at running or walking is something special because like being being the best at football is cool and all you like not everybody's good at that, but it's kind of yeah. like the food competitions where you're the best at eating sort of thing, like at least <laughs> eating really fast. I, I yeah. just find it cool that you're the kind of the best uh, athletes at like at something that like 99% of the people can do. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's, it's very true. When you, when you put that comparison, I, I love that comparison. And I think I would rather be known for running really fast than like, rather than being like Kobayashi being known for being able to hammer down like 70 hot dogs in six minutes or whatever, or whatever his record is. I think I'd rather be known for running. So shout out to all these people because man, uh, some, some really impressive times here for sure. No doubt. And uh, Zach, uh, is there any final thoughts on all the spring sports we had today? No, I don't think so, man. It's been a busy week. Obviously, um, you know, we had uh, the, the volleyball championships this week and the NCAA tournament starting there. A lot of Mac, a lot of conference championships here coming up. We obviously, we just talked about swimming and diving. We're going to have the, the soccer championship, the women's soccer championship this weekend. Men's soccer championship is going to be following uh, close behind that. And then we'll be down to baseball and softball. So still an exciting time of the year, even though the, the, the quote unquote, high profile sports have wrapped up still a lot going on a lot to talk about it's exciting stuff I'm, I'm excited to see uh who comes out on top in the swimming diving swimming and diving championships this weekend and also looking forward to some of these baseball and softball matchups too yeah i will say if you're sleeping on baseball and softball you need to start watching them because they are some high level really entertaining games it doesn't even have to be the top miami ohio or ball state matchups but just in general they're really fun to watch it's something different uh, you got you basically unless you're an NBA fan, you're waiting until football season comes out. These sports yeah. are no joke. They're they're fun to watch. Uh, I've started getting into baseball a little bit here and there. Whether that's to do with uh, uh, gambling is another another um, <laughs> issue. But um, and, and real quick before we end this episode, uh, me and Zach will be doing an NFL draft preview, releasing it on Thursday, the the day of the draft. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, we got a bunch of prospects to break down. I'm excited to break them down because hopefully um, um, come, I, I forget the date. Is it April 22nd? Uh, yeah, I believe you're, I believe that, or maybe it's the 29th. It's it's either next Thursday or the Thursday after. Wait, let, hold up. I, I can look the draft date. Oh, it is April, 29th. April 29th. Wait, do I have my weeks messed up? So week after next, week after next, yeah. Okay, then then that's my bad. Then two weeks from now, I, I got my weeks messed up for a second. Two weeks from now, we will be doing an NFL draft preview, breaking down all the prospects, kind of roughly where we have them, projection, uh, just, just everything, because I, I do expect, Zach, unlike uh, previous years, we do have a couple more athletes being selected than we, we have in the past. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, um, you know, I saw a mock draft the other day, Malcolm Kuntz uh, from Buffalo being projected in like the second round. Obviously, you know, Jared Patterson. Um, there's a lot of a lot of Mac prospects this year that I can see going in, you know, in the in the mid to late round. So I'm excited to dive into that and break that down a little bit. I will say the one prospect I was disappointed that didn't enter the NFL draft was Dustin Krem because I think he would have been electric to whatever team he got selected. But we have them for another season. We get to watch them for another season. Just, just absolutely demolish uh, NFL yeah. defenses. So that'll be that'll be um, a fun season upcoming. But yeah, um, uh, Zach, any any final thoughts for the people? No, I'm good, man. I'm uh, excited uh, as you are uh, for the draft coming up, and uh, you know, baseball, softball. There's other stuff going on this weekend. Uh, obviously, going to dip my toe back into some NBA basketball as well here, as now that college hoops is wrapping up. But uh, no, man, I'm good on my end. Uh, good, good, uh, good talk this week. A lot going on, and uh, we'll we'll uh, see what happens over this weekend.
Yeah, uh, for that, this is episode 41, nine episodes till we hit episode 50, half a, half a, um, half a hundred. It's unbelievable. It seems like time just flies by doing these once a week episodes. But yeah, that for me, for Zach Folidor, we will be, we will talk to you guys next Friday.